This podcast is brought to you by sarahraven.com, which is home to everything you need for a truly beautiful and productive garden. You'll also find great and essential gardening kit and stylish, lovely things to have in your house to bring the outside indoors, all inspired by the garden and the house being tied together. There's also plenty of garden inspiration, how-to videos and specialist growing guides. So head over to sarahraven.com today to discover even more. Welcome to Grow, Cook, Eat, Arrange, the podcast of me, Sarah Raven. And today I'm joined by somebody who I've admired for genuinely about 30 years, and that's Kath Kidston. And Kath, as I'm sure all of you will know, actually, started with a shop uh, near where I used to live in London. And it was one of those first shops when it first opened that was just full of an incredibly nostalgic, beautiful fabrics and kind of aprons. And then it became duvet covers and and sheets. And But just, it was all, it was just so beautiful. And anyway, I really wanted to have Kath on the podcast because I think we, le- we have a similar aesthetic, but also gardening is incredibly important to her. And we'll come on to that because it's actually the foundation stone of a whole new brand that Kath has just launched, which is so exciting. But welcome, Kath. It's so lovely to have you here. Sarah, it's lovely to join you. Long-term customer of yours. Oh, well, <laughs> so was I. Um, and am I, actually. I just bought for my... Oh, I shouldn't be saying what I'm buying for my daughter's stockings, but I don't think they listen to the podcast. But I've just I've just bought them a whole lot of stuff um, oh, from the... Thank you. See, Atalie, the new... The, anyway, we'll come on to that. So, so, Kath, do you mind just explaining to us about your first business and, and sort of how it came to be? Are you a born female entrepreneur or did it just become like a sort of train that took you over like it did with me I wouldn't say I was a born entrepreneur at all I'm definitely not I don't know if there is such a thing but I'm not a trained entrepreneur no I'm sure of that when I was a small child I did always love to play shop Mm. as one of those annoying brats who laid a tray out and you know sold the contents to their parents and friends and everything Brilliant, <laughs> but it took me a while. I w- it wasn't till I was in my thirties that I had the the first Kath Kidston shop. I'm sitting at the moment round the corner from there, so I live in this neighbourhood. So it's quite nostalgic. Oh, um, yeah. walking past, I think the shop's empty at the moment. I was like Is gazing it? in the window. Yeah, what's it um, called? So I mean, just to explain to everyone, if you don't know, we're in Notting Hill, but before. You know, Kath had her shop before it became full of film stars and pop stars. It was very much not like that in those days, was it? <laughs> it's a little enclave called The Cross. That's it, yeah. And actually what's really nice is there are a lot of soul traders who have been there for very many years. Yeah. It's a wonderful kind of village feel. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah, um, lovely, lovely. But I definitely, um, definitely the business t- had its, a life of its own and took off. And I remember sort of feeling it was a bit like a pot bubbling over the whole time and going for the ride. An amazing journey over quite a long period, nearly, I think it was 20 years I was with the company, that sort of thing. And I I remember, I mean, my girls are now in their late 20s, early 30s, but I remember we had a Kath Kidston tent 
We had a yes. Kafkistan sleeping bag. We had a ca- we had I had a Kafkistan handbag. We had it was just like amazing. Anyway, that is in the past, but what's incredibly optimistic and exciting is that you've recently launched a new brand named very sensibly, not after yourself. Well, I guess you couldn't, but I regret in some ways naming a brand after myself too, but after your grandmother, your maternal grandmother. So tell us all about that. So I left my Kath Kidston business in 2016 mm-hmm. and I'd worked ever since I was 17. You know, I've been nonstop going out to work and I thought I'll become someone who goes to the cinema in the afternoon and goes to exhibitions and travels and it's what I imagined people did you know I was lucky enough not to have to work by that stage but to think okay this is a whole new life and um, what I did do was buy a greenhouse Mm -hmm. set up a greenhouse and get really into that but also I was out and about seeing things and I realized all the stuff I love doing is really to get ideas for work and I had nothing to do with my ideas. Yes, yes. And I would struggle with that so much. Yes. It was terrible. Mm. I had no idea. And I suddenly realized all the things I enjoy. It is solely kind of inspiring for what my next project is or whatever. Mm. So, of course, in the pandemic, I was at home. Mm. And I feel very fortunate to have been home in the countryside, don't you? Yes. And so a, I spent loads of time in the greenhouse. And then I started drawing. I had a lot of geraniums in the greenhouse. So I began drawing them, doing all of that. And um, from that, got into learning about all their different fragrances. Yeah. You know, I've always I've always loved scented geraniums. My mum, when I was a kid, taught me all about scented, you know, leaves of things. Yeah. And we had pelagoniums outside the kitchen. So I know I knew all of that. But to sort of begin to understand how many different fragrances of this one family of plants. And yeah. Very intriguing. Very intriguing. And I, I so agree. And I love that thing with pelagoniums that you have to crush the leaf, really, don't you, to kind of, like lemon verbena is the other one. But if you scrunch it in your hand, you just get this unbelievable, like the equivalent in taste of a sort of sherbet, I always think it is. <laughs> it sort of bursts and it's very sparkly as well as being mellow. I mean, they're just, they are really wonderful, wonderful plants. So so how did that lead into the new brand? So then having sort of been doing all these kind of experimenting, growing lots of different plants and then, you know, doing the drawings and this and that. I have some very old friends who have a great skincare business, beautiful company. And they were interested in us. We'd worked together many years before I'd started. Kath Kidston, I'd done project with them. And so Dennis and Leslie, my friends, we decided it'd be really wonderful to set up another project again. Mm. And they have amazing suppliers they understand all the kind of very complex legal requirements of making body care products yeah and we decided to start something fresh made in england made as pure as possible totally around the geranium family yeah to keep something very focused you know so we've got sort of rose geranium woody geraniums lemon all the different ones and we're gradually going to roll out fragrances we started with one very classic one, which is off a plant called Radens, mm-hmm. 
Yes. Um, which I love, which is the sherbet, as yes. exactly as you describe. Yes. Amazing yes. fragrance. And began with that. And then, of course, I got involved in all the packaging, the creative. Yes. Going to, I was filling my car up with the plants and going down to this lovely man down in Somerset who's the nose, who knows how to match yeah. leaf, to pro, leaf to product, which is very complex, takes a long time to develop, yeah. but so much fun. Yeah, and it is. I've got a, a bottle of the bubble bath under my nose and I keep putting <laughs> the lid on and then taking it off because I just want to have it under my, <laughs> under my nose the whole time. But it, it, it is. And um, the thing is about pelagoniums, I guess, is, I mean, Elizabeth David was obsessed with them in cooking, along with blackcurrant leaf, which she look, used a lot actually to, to flavor um, things like sponges and sponge puddings and cakes and things. But she uses, you, uh, uh, in her recipes, a lot of scented leaf pelargoniums. And she uses the same one, I think, the Radens one that you started with, which gives, uh, I don't know, it's such a strain. You just can't really describe it apart from a, a cross of lemon blackcurrant and, and maybe a tiny bit of mint. They're so fresh and unusual, aren't they? I know, trying to do the descriptions on the bottle. Yeah. And it was like, can you say that something is uplifting and calming? Because yes. they both, it feels like exactly. it does both. It's like, exactly. it wakes me up, it makes me feel settled. They're the most yeah. extraordinary. I, it's my, you know, absolute wonder, that plant. I love it. And you have a house, I know, on Spetses um, in Greece. Yes. And so you then, you grow, you have a whole yard of them there, don't you? Yeah, but the only one I can, it's really strange there. I can only get this sort of, what I think must be the Greek equivalent of attar of roses. Ah, that goes yes. really well in the heat. But I'm going to take out a load of cuttings next spring and see what I can develop Yes, and see what takes. But the attar one seems to really like the heat and not mind being out in the winter and everything. Okay, that goes good. really well. Good, good, good. Because yeah. it is... One of the things I think about propagating pelargoniums, I remember being taught this, so I'm just going to pass this on to our listeners just because I think it's really useful, is a lot of us tend to think we're going to propagate things in spring because that's when the whole plant is at its most active stage of growth. And so it will be more full of growth hormone and so more full of rooting hormone. And so you're going to root cuttings more readily. But I remember um, being taught that in fact, of course, where the pelargoniums, a lot of the scented leaves varieties and the wild ones come from is South Africa. And spring in South Africa is, of course, September and October. And in our trialing here, we have found that if we actually do our pelargonium cuttings from sort of the end of August till the end of October, our strike rate is is really substantially more than if we do them in the spring. And I think it is just even though they're living in our climate, their whole their whole sort of gene pool is still South African, if you see what I mean. And they're programmed still to to still follow that, even if our light levels and seasons are different. I find that sort of rather beautiful in a way that they they've still got their memory of South Africa in, in them. I'm so glad you said that because I did all my cuttings August, September, October, oh, and yeah. they're doing really well. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, one of the reasons I love geraniums is I'm not a very good gardener. I love designing gardens, but I'm not the kind of person who's so patient with how I'm doing. I like weeding. I find it very yes. therapeutic. There's, I mean, one of my big things about gardening is 
is creating flowers. I love having flowers in the house all year round. Yes. And so the geraniums I bring in and out Friday, Monday, yes. rather than go to the gym, I'm heaving geraniums yeah, and doing better. things. Yeah. But they're great if you're not very good at gardening. Yeah. And that's how I started out with them because they were the one thing. Tiny flat, I had geraniums on the windowsill and I didn't destroy them and I and it really gave me an appetite for more and more it's wonderful yeah 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 and do you have a favorite it's really hard I mean I thought I did and now because I've got more involved in them I'm collecting all sorts of different ones and so not just the fragrance pelagonium I also love some of the really quite rare I've just bought a beautiful one called I think it's called Ardennes oh yes Oh, with the red, with isn't it yes, divine? It's divine. And um, and what's great is we're building a sort of geranium community, and people are giving me cuttings and plants. And fantastic! I want to do a big plant swap, cutting swap, plant yeah. swap next year. Wonderful, um, wonderful. I'll give you a tip about Ardennes because, and I mean, I'm really sorry if I'm teaching a grandmother to suck eggs here. No, I love you, this. You may well know it, but it's actually really counterintuitive. And again, I think it's because of the South African heritage. It flowers very, very early. So it really will flower in April, May and June. But then it dies back and you think you've killed it, but you haven't. It's herbaceous, but it really goes into dormancy very early. I mean, by the middle of summer, it's gone into total dormancy and then it stays dormant until the autumn. And then the leaves will come almost in the new year and then the flowers very early and then it goes into dormancy. So it's sort of three months out of kilter with Attar of Roses, for instance. And so, I'm glad you told me that. Yeah, because you'll chuck it out. <laughs> you'll think. Um, so do I not feed it when it's dormant? Do I let it rest in the summer? I would let it rest. Exactly right. I would, and actually not water it probably at all, really. You know, when it dies back, you're going to think, yes. oh, panic, panic. I've killed it. I must water it. I must water it. And that's the <laughs> opposite of what you should do. And I know this because Jonathan Buckley, who's a wonderful photographer I've worked with for nearly 30 years now, so he he did exactly, he went off to Great Dexter, saw these beautiful plants of Ardennes, which is one of the ones that he grow quite a bit there, and bought them and put them on his window ledge. And they did wonderfully. And then they died. And he thought, <laughs> that, I've killed them, I've killed them. So he binned them. And then I think he realized, some, maybe he saw Fergus at Dexter or something. And, and Fergus said, how are they doing? And, and Jonathan said, oh, well, I killed them. And he said, no, you haven't killed them. <laughs> they were just going into their dormant phase. So it's worth knowing that. And um, just one other tip, just because I love these being practical as well as inspirational, is if you are going to propagate them, you can easily do it in the spring. And actually, quite often what we do is we cut ours back in January or February. So this is going out in December, but so you only have to wait not so very long. And then you cut them back. And I do still use those to root. And the, I always follow this, these five, the rule of five when I'm taking a cutting from a pelagonium. And I'm sure you do the same, Kath. But so no, the, I want to know. Number one is I always cut immediately below a pair of leaves because that's where there is the highest concentration of rooting hormone. And so rather than sort of halfway down between one pair of leaves and another, you don't do that. You cut immediately below a pair of leaves. Then that's number one. Number two well, perhaps number one should have been cutting quite short, particularly in the winter. They they really benefit from being, I don't know, sort of two inches, so, you know, four or five centimetres. Love this. So that's sort of one and two. And then number three, remove all the leaves. This is obvious. 
below where it's going to push into the compost because they will rot. And the number four is the one, four and five, I used to find totally bizarre and counterintuitive, but I promise they work. Number four is remove the tip. And so you literally pinch out the the little sprout right at the top. And that might even have a, a, a nascent flower bud in it, but you remove it. And the reason for doing that is it removes the urge of the plant to carry on growing from there. And so then all the growth hormone forming in the stem below where you've pinched mm -hmm. then sinks back into the plant and pushes out the root. So it promotes much faster root germination, i.e. root genesis, rather than apical dominance. Yes. And then the final thing is you want to cut any large leaves in half. And that is because always with a cutting, you're on this balance of wilt versus root. And if you leave large leaves, which a lot of the pelargoniums still have, what happens is that all that has to um, photosynthesize and transpire, that every cell, every green cell in the plant, and that requires a lot of water. And so really weirdly, by mutilating the leaf and cutting it in half or even let, you know, by two thirds. What, vertical? No, well, literally. Horizontal. So the, horizontal, exactly. So in the flat surface of the leaf, you're just literally cutting the tip off it. But, you know, and that then, it's still amazingly, it doesn't scar, it doesn't wilt, it doesn't rot. It stays there and it photosynthesizes but it's got much less demand and draw on it. So it still keeps the plant photosynthesizing, and that's good because it keeps it active. But if you leave all these big, large surface area foliage on it, it will put too much demand on the stem to suck up water. And so often you get wilt. Okay, I've got a question though. Yeah. Can you just spin back very quickly to where you say you cut back your... Oh, your yes. pelargoniums. Yes. Because I want to know how brave you are. That's a really tricky one. Yes, of course. Uh, yeah, quite brave. So, I mean, I, I divide pelargoniums into ones that I, well, three groups, actually. I tend to think of them, group one are, are ones like Ardennes that will flower May, June and July. Uh, yep. And they may go on longer, but they're really reliable for flowering early. And I find those really useful for the sort of May gap when your tulips have gone over, but yet your sort of dahlias, et cetera, haven't. So, so that's group one. Group two are the later flowering ones, so July till Christmas. And group three are foliage only. And I grow quite a few like Quercifolius, which, to be honest, I just grow for the foliage. Anyway, so in terms of cutting back... I would cut back the um, the early flowers really pretty hard in the autumn. So Ardennes, and if it hasn't died back, there are quite a few, uh, like uh, Marianne Saunders um, really stops flowering in the autumn. And so I would give her really quite a severe haircut in the autumn. So what, back to back to the, to the lower shoots? Yeah, so back again, sort of four, five centimetres, so two, three Ooh. inches. Yeah, really quite hard back. And I would use that um, as as cutting material always to yes. make more. And those later flowering ones, I mean, my one of my favorites is called Aurora just because it flowers literally 12 months round. But it's some people don't like it. Some people think it's a bit coarse and chunky. It's one of those zona ones. It's not scented. But Attar is another one that would go on. And those I wait and cut back in sort of February, March time. Okay. So... They, and I use them as houseplants, like you were saying in your flat. So they, they come in and I use them as houseplants. Yeah. 
Anyway, gosh, that we we could we could chat on. <laughs> I'm making notes here. I'm very happy. I'm having and getting instructions on what I'm going to do this weekend. Maybe we'll finish with you just telling us about why you named it. I mean, obviously, you didn't want to name it Kathkinston. So tell us about um, the Atalie sort of story. So my mum's side of the family, my granny and her sister, were the last two in our kind of string of that family. And so the name stopped with my mum and her sister. Uh, And I had, it's, and so I'm very fond of the name and we've always had it sort of, it's been a second name with boys in the family have taken it up. And I just wanted to remember her, she loved her garden. Both my grannies were really into their gardens in a big way. And so I just wanted to kind of celebrate the female side of my family who Actually, my dad was into, um, in, I was brought up with parents who both liked gardens and was taught flower names and things when I was a kid and spent most of my childhood out in a garden. Yeah. I think surprisingly little sank in, but I, you know, I, I just sort of, it's an, it's a natural thing for me to be interested in, in plants and flowers and so yeah. on. Yeah. And so just celebrating that and keeping that alive, it felt, it felt quite pertinent to the whole project. Mm, so nice. Well, I couldn't more passionately recommend it. As as I've said, oh. I've, I've already bought quite a bit for my Christmas shopping um, for various different people. And yeah, and I'm so excited to see all the new things that are coming all the time. It's so it's so lovely to see a sort of brand that's that's so kind of early days and playing around with new ideas and, yeah, and new fun. beautiful fragrances. Thank you so much. It was uh, really lovely to chat. Thank you for all your wonderful tips. (laughs) Great to talk to you. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for listening to Grow, Cook, Eat, Arrange. And I hope you really enjoyed listening to the story of Kath Kirsten and her new amazing brand based on scented leaf pelargoniums called Sea Athelie. So next week, actually, I'm stepping back and Josie and Arthur are going to chat because we thought it was, in fact, in a way easier and more fun to have Arthur talking to Josie. And they're going to be chatting about roses. And I've talked to Josie already a couple of times on the podcast about roses. So Arthur's going to bring lots of fresh, new and exciting ideas. So join them then. You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes we talk about on this podcast by heading to the show notes or at sarahraven.com forward slash podcast.